Hey, thanks for listening to the Bellevue Christian Church podcast. We're a church in Bellevue, Pennsylvania, where ordinary people are learning to live everyday life like Jesus. We believe that one way to learn that life is by engaging with an ancient but active collection of books called the Bible every single week. If this teaching leaves you with a question about the content or a story of what God is doing in your life, please send a message to hello at bellevuechristian.church because we'd love to hear from you. Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you, Chuck. (laughs) Hey, the bad news is that it's raining outside. The good news is that means it's movie trivia day today at Bellevue Christian Church. And I want to know if anybody is old enough, which I think we have a few older people in the crowd, that if anybody can recognize the movie that is called, what? A Few Good Men, 1992. Anybody recognize that movie? A few of the old people. Yes, a lot of old people here today. My son Austin was three years old in 1992, and some of these kids weren't even born, but it was a great movie. It's one of my favorite movies, and if you don't remember the movie or you didn't, didn't see the movie, it's, uh, in a nutshell, basically, it took place in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, at a naval air station, and the idea is that there was, a, unfortunately, there was a Marine that was killed by a hazing event, and these two, partic- two Marines were charged with murder. And it seemed like an open and shut case, pretty for the most part. But this young attorney, Navy attorney, played by Tom Cruise, he thought there was something possibly else to the story. Even the possibility that this old um, commander, played by Jack Nicholson, might have been involved in it. Because he might have even issued what would be called a code red, which, red, which was basically an illegal form of discipline. And so what, but in order for Tom Cruise to win the case, he had to get the commander, Jack Nicholson, to basically admit the truth. And as we see from this brief movie clip, is that that's easier said than done, but the bottom line, what resulted was one of the best lines in movie history. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. I told you it was brief, but it's a... Uh, the reason it's brief, because if you know that movie, there's a lot of profanity that surrounds that particular place. And I figured on Mother's Day, your mothers didn't need more profanity. You'll be getting enough of that home when your husband has to grill out in the rain, right? That was a joke. Anyway, that's the best I got. But yeah, you know, that's, uh, again, uh, the great line is, again, you can't handle the truth. And as we begin to continue with our series today, we see that it's not Tom Cruise who can't handle the truth, but actually is a group of people known as the religious leaders or the Pharisees who could not handle the truth, specifically the kingdom truth that Jesus was trying to proclaim. And so Jesus consequently shifted his mode from lecture type of teaching to the teaching by way of stories. Again, so we're in this new series called The Kingdom of Heaven is Like. It's the idea of exploring the kingdom of heaven with the stuff of the earth. And so we're in this series, and we actually started the series, but it's actually part of three series that we're going to, that's going to carry us all the way uh, to about August, I believe. And although the focus of each series will be a little bit different, they'll all kind of have the overarching theme of the kingdom. Now, last week, I introduced the first series of the first sermon by, uh, with Jesus' word that he spoke when he first came on the ministry. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Again, this is a, the idea that Jesus' gospel was sometimes a little different than the gospel that we think. 
And again, the, the key point last week was that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's eternal kingdom, which is also known as life lived within his will, has been made accessible to all people today and forever. Again, we associate the good news with the forgiveness of sins and that we'll someday have our ticket to get into heaven. But really, the point being made that it's more than that. That again, the kingdom of God was a future thing, but it was also a current reality, a reality that we can begin to live in by living within the will of God. Anyway, so Jesus was very big on speaking and preaching about the kingdom, especially in this particular chapter, chapter 13. And so what we're going to do is kind of unpack the first 17 verses of chapter 13. If you'd like to follow around in your Bible, you can do that. We'll be going through, again, this chunk of uh, uh, passages right here. The first couple lines of the passage uh, kind of sets the context for the, really the rest of the, of the chapter. It begins by saying, The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, where all the people stood on the shore. Again, if you know anything about Jesus, you know that at this time in his ministry, people were really beginning to follow him. He was getting very, very popular, and they would just follow him everywhere he went, whether it's by the hill, by a lake, wherever, by the Sea of Galilee. They would follow him. And so it makes sense that he would get in a boat because he wanted to keep a little bit of space, a little bit of distance between him and the people. But as I was doing research, I found that there might have been actually another reason why he got in a boat is actually a kind of related to physics. Now, by no means do I know anything about physics, or really, especially as it relates to sound. But apparently, what I read is that, you know, sound travels better over water. And so it has something to do with the coolness of the water when you're on a boat or near water, that the, that the sound waves are affected by the coolness of the water. And those sound ba- waves kind of rise up. They hit the warmer air. And instead of being separated, dissipated, they're basically... Uh, brought back down into the surface of the water and then carried on towards the shore. And also, since there's no obstacles on the water, it, it tends to carry a little bit longer. And so I think most of us have experienced that. You know, if you'd be standing on the, on the shore uh, at a lake or whatever, and all of a sudden you hear some voices and you look up and there might be somebody, you know, several hundred feet away, that, uh, a couple or whatever, that's, uh, that's sitting in a boat and you hear them very clearly. And so really, that could have been one reason why Jesus was, was in the boat. So he would speak, and then the sound would carry to the shore, and really even up into the hills. And again, Jesus knew the laws of physics, so this could have been a good reason why he was doing it, because again, his father invented the laws of physics, and so he was just taking advantage of it. Anyway, that's kind of the initial setting, the initial context. But the next verse actually kind of sets the introduction really for the entire chapter about what you can expect in the form of, a, of writings. It goes on to say, Then he told them many things in parables. Then he told them many things in parables. Jesus was very good about telling parables, which are basically stories. This is actually a good time to talk a little bit about parables, you know, what they are. Many of us, you know, have grown up hearing that, you know, parables are basically... A, uh, an earthly story, you know, with a heavenly meaning. That's one way to describe it, which isn't totally wrong, and it even kind of ties in with the slide that we showed earlier, again, about the stuff of the earth to explain the things of heaven. But really, the word itself, uh, parable, comes from basically the Greek word parabole, which basically we know para is kind of, we get the word uh, parallel from, 
And bole is actually something cast alongside. You could almost think of a ball or whatever. So really a parable is like something uh, cast alongside something else. So it's in this sense what it is, it's really a item of truth, a moral truth of some sort, a religious truth that is cast alongside of some sort of an earthly story or some sort of an earthly illustration. And why did Jesus decide to use stories? It could be a number of reasons, as we'll see. But really, it could be because he knew that stories tend to stick with people, stick with people longer, especially if they're tied to a spiritual truth or even a moral truth. That We tend to retain that truth a little bit longer because we retain the story. Is there anybody here that is not familiar with the story, uh, the, the fairy tale about the boy who cried wolf? Because the last time I asked the question, does anybody knows about that story? Nobody raised their hand, so I decided I'd take the opposite effect. So I'm assuming you all know that story, and it's a basic story, a basic fairy tale, that the, you know, the idea that's trying to teach some sort of a moral truth, and they have a, the story is, is about a little boy who's going to be, he's a shepherd, and he's told to go out and take care of the sheep, and apparently he gets bored out there, and so he starts shouting, you know, wolf, wolf. And what happens is the villagers come out trying to protect him, and then he just laughs, and they get all upset and go back home. And he does this two or three times. Finally, one day, a wolf, a real wolf, does show up, and what happens? The wolf, you know, shows up and starts going after the sheep, and he starts crying, wolf, wolf, and the villagers don't come out anymore because they know that, again, he's lying, he's telling a prank, or they think he's telling a lie, and obviously then the wolf gets the sheep and possibly eats up the little boy or not. We don't know about that part of it, but anyway, again, it's a, it's a simple story, but what's the truth? What's the moral truth that comes alongside that story? Come on, somebody get me. <laughs> Don't tell a lie. Yes, it's a nice truth that you remember the story and you remember the truth attached to it. And really, that's what Jesus is doing in parables. You know, he's basically taking the, the common stuff of this day, like in his, like the story of the little boy, it's the, the sheep and the, the wolf and the villagers. Really, Jesus would use things like, you know, seeds and, and, and wheat and bread and fishing nets, those type of things he would use to tell a story or to tell a, tell a story that would reveal some sort of spiritual truth. But Jesus wasn't just telling these parables. There's a difference between Jesus and uh, the way he told the stories and, and the way we read about the, fable, uh, the fairy tales, you know, is that he wasn't telling it just so they would stick in his brain, stick in the person's brain. He was telling it to, to elicit some sort of response. See, all of Jesus' parables were not just, again, a nice story with a nice moral. They were meant to evoke a particular response, a response that would push people closer towards the kingdom of God and ideally closer into discipleship. And we know that Jesus was the master storyteller, the master of, of telling parables. In fact, there's one place that talks about in one season of his ministry, that's all he did was tell parables. In fact, in Mark we read, he did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So Jesus was always using parables. In fact, I think it's like 44 parables in the, in the New Testament. But basically, he would also use parables again for specific reasons. And in this case, in chapter 13, we see them that he's using in a very specific way to explain about the kingdom of God. And so again, the next few lines, what we see is he begins to tell a parable about a farmer out there and kind of sowing some seed. We read that a farmer went out to sow a seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. 
But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell upon the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. In other words, at the end there he's saying, he who, you know, perk up and pay attention to this story. Now, this is a very good story with a lot of good stuff that we can spend a lot of time interpreting, but I decided that I was going to save this chunk of it, interpreting this, till next week because Austin is preaching next week, and he likes the easier stuff, to be honest. (laughs) Gives me the hard stuff. Anyway, now, all kidding aside, it's kind of an interesting one. It was hard to decide how to split this up because really what we see is Jesus telling the story, the parable, but then he skips a number of verses and picks it up again in verse 18 is what he starts interpreting the story. But in between, you've got a nice little chunk of verses, so to speak, to where Jesus begins to explain why he starts to teach in parables. And so really what we see is that, that Jesus or the disciples is asking the questions uh, what we want to ask or what many of us would ask. He says the disciples came to him and said and asked, why, why do you speak to the people in parables? Again, when they noticed something that he had gone, he'd shifted from, from mostly lecture and direct dialogue to now he's telling stories. And they don't know what's going on. And now a simple answer would be, Jesus could have said, well, it's because it's easy to remember. It, it helps people identify with the story. So you've got the, the children all the way up to the adults that are able to really kind of identify the story and remember the story. And that's probably part of it. But Jesus seems to imply there's a specific reason in this particular case why he is t- telling parables. And so he says, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Again, again, a bunch of things in here that I really can't spend a whole lot of time talking about. But as a side note, really, when when he mentions secrets of the kingdom... Some places it's actually translated mysteries. But what he's saying is there were basically things in the past, in the Old Testament, we would call the Old Testament characters, the Old Testament times, that really the people were not ready to be received. You know, there really wasn't, they weren't quite ready. But he's saying basically now these secrets, these things are starting to be revealed to you, especially secrets about the kingdom of God through, through the revelation from Jesus Christ. And again, the things in the past that, 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 that the people had longed for to know about hadn't been revealed to Jesus. Now Jesus is revealing it, giving out those secrets, so to speak. Some people actually think mysteries are a be- is a better translation than secrets because secrets are something that can be revealed just like that. Where mysteries, you've got to kind of do a little bit of work. You've got to do a, a little bit of mental work. And you've got to have actually a, a really sense of a, a, a spiritual keenness, a keenness, a spiritual acuity, so to speak to be able to get some of these passages. And so Jesus says, again, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you. Now the question is, who is the you in this particular passage? Now because the disciples just asked the question, we can assume that it includes at least the 12 original disciples. But that sounds a little bit exclusive. There was a big crowd of people that were filling, that were surrounding Jesus and so it sounds a little bit exclusive, again, to say the kingdom of the secrets have been given to you. And really what we see is that 
Jesus wasn't trying to exclude people. We know that Jesus' missionary style was not to exclude people. In fact, you know, we know that the people that had open hearts that came to him like little children, they would receive, again, those type of things. So he was not trying to exclude people in the audience, people in the, in the crowd whose hearts were now open to receiving the message of the kingdom. But what he was doing, some believe, is that he was hiding, or at least uh, covering, so to speak, the, 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 the message from certain people whose hearts were not ready to hear it. That he was, again, cloaking some of these secrets by the use of parables. And so, again, what he says here, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. So them is basically the people who had already shut their hearts from hearing the message, which many believe were the religious leaders of the time. And this makes a little bit more sense when we continue on where Jesus says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear, understand. Again, the people that were receptive, received the word like little children, they heard, they saw, they received. Where it was really the intellectual retreat, uh, intellectual elite, such as the leaders of the day, the religious of the leaders of the day, who had basically were, they said they could hear, they, 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 they felt that they were smart, they felt they were intelligent, they felt that they could see, they could understand, but really what Jesus is saying, no, they don't. You know, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. And this, again, makes more sense when he, we begin to tie it back even farther to the book of Isaiah, where Jesus would actually say that what's going on now is actually a prophetic thing by the prophet Isaiah. So he goes back even farther, and he says, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. Again, in them is fulfilled the, the current leaders. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. We've ever seen, but never perceiving. For this people's heart, these people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Again, putting this back in context, you might recall that when we looked at the Old Testament, we saw that Isaiah was a prophet about 700 years before Jesus was even born. But he was a prophet called up by God, to be able to speak into the current culture of the time, which was very dark, you know, it was a very bad period because they had turned, the Israel people had basically turned their collective backs on God to the point where they were engaging in idol worship, all sorts of detestable practices. And so Isaiah was the one that was going to be called out to speak into that situation, to call the people out on activity, and basically using these exact words, God was saying, you know, they're not going to get it. You know, they, they'll be hearing, you will, you'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. So these were words spoken way back then, during Isaiah's time, 700 years, which gave evidence to the spiritual condition of the people back then. And this is a kind of like a, a dual prophecy. It applied back then to Isaiah's time, and Jesus is saying, well, this still applies today. Because you still have people, again, that are have closed their close their minds to the spiritual things. They have really put blockage there. They have, they have shut me out. And again, if we wanted to see evidence of this, we would go back to chapter 12, where we talked about last week. This is, again, kind of the height of Jesus' ministry. He's doing all these things. He's, he's healing people. He's raising the dead. And he's casting out demons all over the place. 
And again, the Pharisees, they don't know how to deal with this at all. They, don't, they just cannot comprehend what is going on. They're just throwing their hands up. And so out of the blue, somebody says something like, well, the only way that Jesus can do this, the only reason he can do this is because he's under the authority of the chief demon, you know, Satan himself. And about that point, Jesus kind of accuses them of blasphemy, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, because he's equating a man of God, the the man made in the very nature of God, with Satan himself. And so at that point, we know that basically these guys have shut themselves off from God. They have become what Jesus would say, they have become very callous towards God and his message, towards Jesus and his message. We go on to read, for these people's heart have become callous. They hardly hear with their eyes. And they have closed, and they say they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. We're not just talking about a casual thing here. We're talking about people who have deliberately closed their eyes, their ears, their spirit, their hearts to the message of Jesus. The side note is that the word callous actually means, again, hardness, but it, it also means thickening. It means, it means kind of a, 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 a heaviness, a fatness, really. In some cases, in this case, it practically means basically kind of we used to uh, uh, basically call them a, a, a numbskull, I think was the word. Actually, the, uh, in the message, Eugene Peterson refers to these people as blockheads. In fact, he goes on to say, the people are blockheads. They stick their fingers in their ears so they won't have to listen. They screw their eyes shut so they won't have to look. So they won't have to deal with me face to face and let me heal them. Again, these are the people that he's talking about when he shares that, why, why he's speaking in parables. These are people that have purposely, intentionally shut out the message of God. They've become callous, so callous they can't even hear They can't even see, and they can't even perceive what is going on with Jesus. And again, this is the big deal, because here's Jesus coming on the scene, and he's talking about the kingdom of God and the availability of God, and he's inviting people into it and saying, come on, and the kingdom is available. And at this point, the Pharisees are basically blocking it out completely. And so that's why Jesus tells parables, because he says, you know, the people that come to me as a little child, the people that come with open hearts, with open ears, yeah, it might be a little bit of a struggle to understand, but they're going to eventually get it. On the other hand, the, the Pharisees are the people that have blocked out God, the message of God completely. They're not going to get it at all. In fact, it's going to make it difficult, more difficult for them to understand it. And I was thinking about it. It's kind of like, it's kind of like an inside joke. When you think about an inside joke, you know, a joke obviously is almost like a parable, or is kind of a parable because it's, it's a story that's basically meant to have a punchline that would evoke some sort of response, and ideally the response is laughter, and I don't see much of that around here, but basically, it's a, again, it's supposed to see, it's proven right there. But it's, it's kind of like, an, but, but you ever experienced an insider joke? It's very frustrating, isn't it? You know, you go to, you're at work, or you're at somebody's home, or whatever, and, and somebody starts telling jokes that only certain people understand. And you're sitting there and saying, okay, what's going on here? You can't even pretend to laugh because they know you don't get it. You know, it's like you're just sitting there and you're getting frustrated. And really, I think that was going on with the Pharisees. They they didn't get the punchline. They could not understand what was going on because they had not been, they had not been, their hearts had not been opened. They had not been in tuned 
to, enough to be able to perceive what Jesus was talking about. And so when he's tell, sharing these stories about the kingdom using seeds and weeds and, and fishing nets and all this kind of stuff, uh, people, the Pharisees are sitting there, I, I don't get this. I don't get what you're talking about. And what the other people were getting, yeah, I'm tracking with you, Jesus. They're saying, I don't get this. And what, they would, happen, what would happen is they just kind of walk away frustrated. And so, again, the point being is that what was happening in Isaiah's time, you know, the closed-minded people, the closed-hearted people, it was, it was similar to what was happening in Jesus' time. And it's really very similar to what we see today. There are a lot of them out there in the world have closed their hearts off to God. I know next week Austin will talk about it quite a bit, but again, it's just people that have heard the good news, but they say, eh, no thank you, not interested in this at, at all. They have not responded to the gospel. And so consequently, and even if the truth was handed to them, you know, they would not be able to handle the truth. That's why I've used the opening illustration. It was a parable, really. It's basically, you know, the ancient, those familiar words of you can't handle the truth speaks to, again, an ancient truth that no matter how hard you share the gospel, some people will not receive it. It'll bounce right off of them. Even if you're sharing it face to face. And when I think about it, you know, I think about, in close, I think about Jesus, you know, and he was always talking to people face to face. And even up to his point of, his, right before his crucifixion, he's standing there with Pontius Pilate, and, there, and Pontius Pilate is just drilling him and drilling him, asking him all these questions, you know, kind of like the, the Tom Cruise and the Jack Nicholson in some case, you know. And, what, and at some point, you know, Pontius Pilate says, oh, so are you king of the Jews? And Jesus answers like this. He says, you are right in saying, I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born, and for this, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then really the classic line of Pilate, what is truth? And if you remember that section of your Bible, Jesus doesn't answer. To me, this is like Jesus missed an opportunity because, wow, this is an opportunity to say, well, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That would have been a great opportunity to say that. But he didn't say anything. But I would suggest that if he did speak up, that rather than saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but me, he should have just looked at Pontius Pilate and said, you can't handle the truth. Because he couldn't. He was one of them. He was one of those people that shut their whole soul, their inner spirit, their heart off to anything, any message that Jesus was about to give them. And again, we see that. We saw that in the time of Isaiah. We saw that in the time of Jesus. And we see that today, that people have closed their hearts to God. And now the good news is that in a church like this, I know that most everybody, if not everybody here, doesn't fit into the category of them. By virtue of you being here, and especially by virtue of the fact that many of you have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, you have the receptivity to hear. And some of you even know because you have that given that receptivity, you are blessed. In fact, the last part of this, Jesus says, 
But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Again, what he's saying, all those people in the Old Testament, especially even before Isaiah, the, the, the righteous people just could not wait to figure out all the missing pieces. Who's the Messiah? How's he going to come? What's it going to look like? And they're reading in Isaiah, and Isaiah 53, that talks about the crucifixion. They have no idea what's going on here. But again, we have the 2020 vision because we can look backwards. We know the truth. We know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that truth has set us free. We have that. We have the missing pieces of the puzzle. So we are blessed. And so again, for us, it's not, the question is not the Pontius Pilate question, what is truth? We know the truth. And also, the, you know, really the response is not the, the Jack Nicholson response, you, you can't handle the truth. It's not. It's really, again, how are we going to respond to the kingdom truth that we've given us, that's been given us? Specifically, as we go through the series of the entire summer, you will be asked in many ways to respond. You respond, again, by the way that the Pharisees, the leaders responded pretty much shutting it out. Or you could respond by the disciples and the other followers responded by taking it in. And again, what Jesus says, whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Let us pray. God in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for truth. Your word is truth. Again, heavy, heavy topic today, Lord Jesus, but again, it's good stuff, and so I thank you, Lord, that uh, the people here today, I believe, that everybody in this room, especially even the, even the people that are here more out of curiosity, that they've been seeking God, and that, again, that as they seek you, you will continue to give them revelation, whether it's through the, uh, the songs, uh, the scripture, even the parables that we studied through the summer. So, Lord, again, I just pray that you would just continue to help people to draw those nuggets of truth from the series as we go through it, to go through the summer. And again, that people would really desire, again, to know the kingdom, not simply to memorize parables or even to, to have them stick with them or just even to have, leave with some good morals, but again, to be drawn deeper into the kingdom life, to accept the invitation of Jesus when he said, repent for the kingdom of God is now, Lord, that they might be able to, again, go deeper into discipleship and further into your kingdom, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. If that teaching moved you or left you with questions, let us know by sending a message to hello at bellevuechristian.church. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast for a new teaching from us every single week.